Okay, so some of you guys know, uh, 2005 to 2019, um, I was like, well, there's a long period that was bivocational, but 2005 to 2000, not 19, 2005 to 2009, I worked in the, the mortgage industry. I was in mortgage lending. Um, I was also a youth pastor at the time, and then I was also going through seminary. And there was this one season where I was working in mortgage lending, and um, one of the offices that I worked for was one of the, like, that, this, it was the time, 2005, 2006, 2007, if you guys remember the market. I mean, it was similar like now. It was roaring. And so I was in, working in one of those offices that was kind of like high pressure, high whatever. You had the sales board, and it was like they were counting and tallying who was bringing in the most loans, and we get these big kickers and all this stuff for, for closing deals. Um, and I had, the, I had this manager that he wasn't necessarily a big physical, like, imposing kind of guy, but just his personality. Like, he was managing this office of, you know, a lot of people, salespeople for a reason, and he just kind of was, was gruff, you know what I'm saying? One of those kind of tough, kind of hard exterior kind of guys. And he always, he, he was kind though, don't get me wrong, he was really kind and he was, you know, a great, great manager. Um, often when he would work, he would have his door almost always open unless he was in a meeting. But after like a number of months, I noticed there was this season where like his door was closed all the time, and I just thought it was kind of weird. And so one morning, I'm actually at home, and I just felt like I was supposed to begin to pray for him, so I did. And I just, for a little bit, started just in the mornings talking to God and praying. His name was Tyson, and I would pray for Tyson. And one day as I was praying, just in my own quiet time in the morning, I felt like God said to me, I want you to, I was reading through Psalms, and I I felt like God was saying, I want you to go in and share this Psalm with Tyson. And I was like, yeah, no, it's okay. Like, I'll just keep praying for him here in my living room. And again, it was like the next day, I want you to go share this with Tyson. And so I was like, I don't know nothing about this guy's spiritual background, spiritual journey, anything. I mean, he knew about, you know, what I did in terms of seminary and youth pastor and all that stuff. So there was some like, you know, knowledge there, but he never recognized or acknowledged anything. And one day I just felt like, okay, God, this is two, three days in a row. You're prompting me to do this. I just got to go do this. So I actually went and I, I, um, I was in the market for a new Bible myself. So I went down. You guys remember in Cedar Hills, there used to be that uh, Christian store. They all closed down, whatever. But I went there and I bought a Bible for myself. And I was like, oh, I'll just get one for Tyson too. And I'm going to highlight some verses from Psalm 91. And it's Psalm 91, 1 and 2. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And that's what I felt like I was supposed to highlight and give to Tyson. So this next day I go in and because door is closed. And so I just go in, and I knock on his door, and uh, he's like, yeah, come in. He's got this, he had this really gruffy voice. I wish you could hear it. Um, he says, yeah, come in. So I go, and I sit down, and um, I'm like super nervous, you guys. And I've got this Bible, and you know how they come in that little box and everything? I just kept it in that little box, and I just said, Tyson, I, I've been praying for you, and um, I feel like I was supposed to share a verse with you. And he's like, okay, yeah, sit down. And so I sit down, and I open up the box, I open up the Bible, and I said, can I just put this in front of you? And he's like, yeah, put it on. So I put it on the desk, and I open it up to Psalm 91, and I read those two verses for him, and I, I, I kind of almost had like this little, because I, again, I, I don't know nothing about his spiritual background, anything, so I almost had like this little sermonette, like I was going to have to, you know, interpret for this guy what Psalm 91, 1 and 2 means. And so I kind of share that with him, and all of a sudden, he just, he like starts getting weepy. And I was like, uh, what's up, you know? And He's like, my grandma used to have this verse pinned up in the house that I grew up in. And he starts telling me some of his story. 
And, he, and then, he, then he just goes, he goes, you know, he goes, it's crazy that you've come into my office. And he's like, why would you do that? And I said, well, I noticed that you used to have your door open. But for the last month or whatever, like, it's just been shut. And he just, again, gets weepy. And he says, you know, my wife is leaving me. And his family used to come in. And his, we'd see his kids. You know, he ran the office. so He can kind of do whatever he wants. But they'd come in because we, we would work late. And all of a sudden, yeah, his wife hadn't been around. He goes, my wife's leaving me. He goes, my kids are in turmoil. He goes, I just feel like my life is falling apart. And he goes, the fact that you would come in and sit down and you would share this with me, he goes, I'm just reminded that there actually is a God that loves me. And I just said, you know, can I pray for you? And I I prayed for him. And yeah, this, like I said, it was somewhere in between 2005, 2006. Um, He ended up moving on to Texas and whatever. And every so often, he's, he's one of those guys, like, I'll get the I'll get the um, Christmas, like, Merry Christmas text, or I'll get even, like, a Happy Easter text. Like, he relates to me around those kind of religious holidays or times, you know. Um, and there's every so often he'll just he'll text and say, hey, will you pray for me, whatever. But I just remember that doing that, like, going in there, it, it, you know, even that next year as I still worked for him, year or two, there were just times where he'd be like, hey, would you, would you pray for me, whatever. And he, you know, he told me about his kids, and I'd get the chance. But, you guys, I was so nervous going in to do that because in my mind I'm going, I, I could get fired for this. I could get yelled at by this gruff guy. Like, I could get totally embarrassed in front of, you know, all my coworkers, all this stuff. But I remember God using that to be just, it was so formative for me. Uh, it ended up being a place where, yeah, a couple other people just ended up, you know, one guy ended up coming, <laughs> coming and sitting in my youth group one time. That was the most awkward thing about actually praying and talking with coworkers about spiritual things was that, like, if they had any interest, they'd be like, oh, where do you go to church? And I'd be like, I lead a youth group. Do you want to come? You know? And it was just, it didn't work well. But you guys, this morning, we are continuing our, um, our series uh, called Here I Am. And over the last number of weeks, we have looked at the story of, of Abraham. And we've looked at how Abraham responded to God when he called him. And out of that, he, he learned how to trust God and really be used uh, from there on out to, to help create a redemptive family in the world uh, for God's kingdom. And then we looked at the story of, of Jacob and Similarly, Jacob needing to respond and go through all kinds of craziness and wandering and all kinds of stuff, but the faithfulness, even at the end of his life, to say, God, here I am, to want to be part of God's work to redeem the world. Uh, we looked at the story of, of Hannah and Samuel and Eli and how uh, Hannah and Eli were trellises. I remember Vicky using that word, trellises, people who helped build this faith and create um, a faith for uh, Samuel in a way that he could someday uh, be raised up to also say, here I am, and to hear God's voice and respond. And then last week, I loved that we got to have our own Tim and Leslie Betcher uh, share about sowing hope in the way that in 2018, God spoke to them, and they responded with the words, here I am. And from that, there's this ministry now that, that we got to hear about, and our community is going to partner with. This morning, we're going to open up actually the New Testament. And I, I want to show you and look at uh, an instance in Acts where, again, those same three words, here I am, are spoken by a common, simple follower of Jesus, uh, and it ends up being transformative, not only for him, but also really helps, in some regards, birth the church, uh, as it was known in that day, so to speak, or, or really catapult the church into a new level of existence in that day. So if you have your Bible, uh, open up to Acts chapter 9, and um, we're going to read starting verses 10 through uh, 16. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, it should be on the screen. But uh, God's Word says this to us this morning in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. 
And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and he entered the house, laying his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which uh, you came, has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and might be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you think when you read that, but when I read it, I'm like, that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, right? Just a little bit crazy. Um, in short, what's what? I mean, this is God appearing, Jesus appearing, and he's asking this disciple named Ananias to go to a ruthless, dangerous man uh, to share the message of Jesus, to literally put his hands on him and pray for him, right? That, that's crazy. Now, for, in case people aren't aware, um, and even if you are, I think it'd be helpful for us to talk a little about context before we kind of dive into this a little bit. Who is Saul, right? I think it's an important question because we get just a tiny bit here, but, but who is Saul? Uh, in order to talk about who Saul is, I actually want to talk a little bit about you know, Acts up until this point. Um, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter 1, uh, it's Jesus alive, risen, resurrected. He comes and he appears, and then there's the ascension. And then in Acts chapter 2, uh, we get Pentecost, right? Or the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And miraculous things happen uh, as Peter and, and the church are filled with faith. And Peter gives that amazing sermon, right, where 3,000 people come to faith. Uh, people are being healed. The kingdom of God is being proclaimed. The resurrected Christ is being proclaimed. And if we fast forward through kind of all of this, from chapter 2 to chapter 8, uh, we, you know, scholars say that they think it's about 8 to 10 years of time that are covered in the early church through chapter, uh, Acts 2 to chapter 8. Um, and the church has grown not only from that being like 120 members to being the 3,000 because of uh, Peter's proclamation, but the church at this point is probably about 10,000 strong. And one of the key phrases that you hear as you read through those initial chapters is that joy filled like the community and that joy came about anywhere that the kingdom of God was proclaimed and that Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ was proclaimed. So it's pretty cool. It's awesome what's happening. And yet at the same time, there's a group of people who are really upset that the way, the way of Jesus, is being proclaimed and that people are putting faith in Christ and that joy is springing up throughout communities. There's this whole group and they're, they're Pharisees, right? And of that group, there's this man named Saul. Saul, and we know about him from, uh, you know, what he tells us uh, in, in some of his other letters that he writes, like he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was like, he had all the stuff to brag about. He was this top dog. And one of the things that we learn about in Acts chapter uh, 6 and 7 is the story of, of this man named Stephen. What was happening in the early church, right, was that um, there was those who were, um, they were called Hellenists, and they were Jews, but that spoke Greek, and then there was the Jews and the Hebrews, like, within the church, and so there was, like, you know, racial tensions and figuring it out, racial reconciliation going on in the early church, and what was happening is that there was these widows of the Hellenists that weren't being fed and cared for in the distribution of food, and so they all get together, and they pray, and they figure out, yeah, like, the, those who are called to be apostles and to preach and to proclaim and do all that stuff, like, they shouldn't be spending their time feeding the widows and doing that service, so they, they got this idea of, let's pray and have seven people, seven basically servant leaders be raised up, if you will, 
um, to serve the people. And so out of that group, there's this man named Stephen. And we're told in chapter 6 that uh, Stephen is a man filled with the Spirit and that he has wisdom and that um, he's a man of good repute uh, and he's, he's just a great guy. And so they appoint him and what happens is Stephen goes out and he does more beyond serving. He proclaims Christ and people come to faith and all this is happening. And we get to the end of chapter 7. And now I want to read that because I mean, this is giving us a context of who Saul is. Uh, end of chapter 7, uh, starting in Uh, verse 57, it says this, but they cried out with a loud voice. This is the the people who were upset and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. This is at Stephen. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named, say it with me, Saul. (laughs) And as they were stoning Stephen, executing him by stones, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Incredible. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of this execution. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Do you guys get the picture now of who Saul is, if you didn't know before? Like, do you get it? And so, again, imagine Ananias in his room one day and this vision from Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go and pray for someone. And Saul's like, yes, Lord, here I am. And then he's like, it's this man named Saul. What? Wait, wait, what? What what did you just say? Right, I mean, I think in that moment, he's running for like, where's my Eli, right? Where's my, who's going to help me interpret like if this is really God's voice or not? Because what I just heard is, is crazy, I think the other important thing for us to look at, again, before we flesh this out a little bit more, is the context of, of who is Ananias? Anybody know who Ananias is? Honestly, I don't think anybody knows who Ananias is. What's funny about this whole thing is that chapter, or Luke, yeah, Luke in verse 8 writes this. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, period. That's all we get about Ananias. There's three Ananiases in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, actually. One is, you guys remember Ananias and Sapphira? who sold the field and then lied about it, we know they got buried. This is not that Ananias. There's another Ananias who, I won't get into it, but we don't know too much about him either, but this Ananias, we literally know this. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, period. What's important about that? See, Luke, remember Luke's the physician that wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts? And he's very detailed, right? When he told us about Stephen, what did he write about Stephen? He writes and he says, Stephen was a man full of faith, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he had wisdom. He was of good repute. He, like, Luke is always very descriptive. What does he tell us about Ananias? Zero. Nothing. So like Ananias is not this like famous, amazing person within the church of, of Christ at the time. He's not a prophet. He's not an evangelist. He's not even a leader in the church. He is a disciple in Damascus and his name is Ananias. Do you guys track with me? He's nobody famous. He's, he's, he's a common disciple. He's me. He's you. He's us. And God comes to him and speaks to him. I mean, he had, he had faith, right? He had relationship with God. He, he knew enough that when he saw this vision, he, he could discern and go, oh, this is Jesus. So we, we know there's like, you know what I mean? Like he's following Jesus just like we are. But he's nobody important. He's nobody special. He's a common disciple. But God got his attention and said, hey, Ananias. And Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Just an awareness of of God's spirit. Belief that God was alive, that Christ was resurrected, and that he spoke to disciples, that he spoke to him. 
and that God wanted to use his life to, to proclaim and further the kingdom of God, to proclaim the resurrected Christ. I think it's pretty cool. It's crazy because, again, in this whole thing, we know a lot about Saul, and we know a lot about Paul, and a lot is talked about, right? This Saul to Paul conversion and, and all of that. When have you ever heard like a, a, a sermon on, on Ananias, right? Like it's, he's nobody, he's common. And yet, God uses him to do something amazing. Here's the other thing about Ananias, and I don't want to belabor this, but God could have done this without Ananias, don't you think? You know what I'm saying? God could have done anything he wanted to do in Saul's life without Ananias. In fact, uh, if we read the beginning of chapter 9, it says, But Saul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priests and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. So he's in this same city, same town where Ananias lives. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, traveling with Saul, they stood speechless, but they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he was seeing nothing. And so they laid him uh, excuse me, and so they laid him by the hand, and they, they took him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Right? I mean, God could have done anything he wanted here. He had already gotten Saul's attention in an amazing, miraculous way. God didn't need Ananias, right? And so for me, it begs the question of why did God even involve Ananias then? Again, he's like a common guy in, in, in this church. Not a leader, not important, not anything special. He's a disciple named Ananias, period. But to God, he was someone special. To God, he was a loved and chosen son whom he had saved. To God, he was a a vessel of the gospel. To God, he was someone that he wanted to invite to partner with him in the proclaiming and advancement of his kingdom. To God, Ananias was special and important. Again, you and I never think about him. We never hear about him. We think and we hear about Saul and Paul and that translation and all that, right? There's so many other people in Scripture that we think about. But to God, Ananias was special. And God invited him to be a part of the redemptive work that he wanted to do in someone else's life. And not just someone else's life, in this Saul to Paul transition. Again, are you guys tracking with me? I think this is pretty cool. God didn't need Ananias. Why did he involve him then? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to take a couple guesses with you here. Let's go back to the text, and it says this. So after, after Jesus gets Ananias' attention, and Ananias responds in verse 10, and he says, here I am, Lord. Uh, and then God gives him the instruction, go and rise. Verse 13, we get Ananias' response after he hears who he's supposed to go talk to. And it says this in verse 13. It says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I've, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. What do you guys hear in there? What do you guys hear in that response? Talk to me. What do you hear? Fear, right? What else? Is that the main thing? Probably, right? It's fear. He's scared. It's almost like, again, God calls, he responds, hey, I'm here, and then God's giving instruction. He's like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not here anymore. You know, like trying to back out. But why? Because fear. 
Again, why, 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 did, why did God call him? If he's nobody special, if he's nobody unique, if whatever. I, I think that response tells me this. I, I think maybe Ananias, yeah, he was, a, he was a faithful disciple of Jesus, but he was a man bound by fear. Fear of the circumstances, fear of what's going on around him, fear of being, you know, persecuted, fear of what, what might happen to me if, 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 if I stick my neck out as a follower of Jesus. And I think God cared so much about Ananias that he didn't want him to be crippled by fear. Because again, God could use anybody else to do this, or God could use nobody else and just done it himself by appearing as a spirit just like he did initially. And yet God saw Ananias. God loved Ananias. And God looked at Ananias, I think, and thought, I'm going to use this guy. Because if he partners with me in this redemptive work that I want to do, and this guy saw Paul's life, it's not only going to transform Paul, Saul into Paul, it's going to transform Ananias. And I'm in the business of transformation. See, I think one of the cool things about this story that it reminds me about God's heart and the gospel is that God is a pursuing God. Jesus is the pursuing God. And he's in the business of loving and pursuing people. Both those who do not yet know him and us who already know him, he's still continually pursuing us and wanting to invite us to partner with him, to be closer and closer to him, closer to his heart, closer to his purposes, closer to the center of the beauty and the power of the gospel. Why? Because he loves us, and he wants to continue to not only set people who don't know him yet free from bondage to sin and brokenness, but he wants to continue to set us free from bondage of sin and brokenness. He's a very gracious God, a very loving God, and a very powerful God that loves working transformation in the lives of people that he created that he loves. Maybe Ananias was afraid, and so God wanted to set him free. Or maybe Ananias had just forgotten how and why God had saved him. Maybe he had forgotten that he himself was saved by grace through faith, not a work of himself, so he couldn't boast. And he'd forgotten that he was supposed to then go share that grace with others. So maybe he had just become comfortable and, and just quiet and, you know, just nobody. But God calls him out and says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for somebody. I want you to go and share the message of my kingdom. Sh- share the name of, of Christ with someone. I want to read verses 15 through 19 with you. And it says, but the Lord said to him, so after he responds and goes, God, like I know who this guy is, God comes back to Ananias and says, um, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Again, just pause and think about that for a second, right? We know the rest of Paul's story, don't we? Right? He gets strengthened and he goes and for three years he waits and he's trained and all that stuff. And then he goes out and two-thirds of what we have in our New Testament of what we believe is God-breathed scripture, who is it written by? Paul. Saul undergoes this amazing transformation from Saul to Paul, basically changes the course of history of of the church as it was through his ministry. But what about Ananias? You guys think he just left and went back home exactly the same? No way, right? No way. 
Do you think he was still shackled and chained by that same fear? No way. Again, we don't find out anything else about him. But do you think he just sat back comfortable at home like, yep, I'm a disciple of Jesus, the guy that lives in Damascus, period. No way, right? Come on. After this experience, how gracious of God to invite him and involve him in this. That he would be a part of this transformation of Paul. I just think it's amazing. I don't know if anybody else you get it. I just think it's amazing. I'm floored by you guys. I'm provoked by the faith and the courage of Ananias to respond. I'm, I'm provoked and encouraged by God's graciousness to invite him, invite us into his, into his process of the miracles, the things that he can do. See, here's the thing. God, God loves initiating. You guys, God's at work in our world is what this, this reminds me. And again, he's not only at work in our lives, those of us who are still in process, which is all of us in this faith journey, but God is at work in the lives of unbelievers in our world as well. You ever think about that? I want to share with you a, a, a text. And this was out of integrity before I told that story this morning. I, um, I, wanted, to, I, I wanted to send a text to Tyson because I, I couldn't remember actually the verse that I had written down with him. And I was like, I need to share that. So Christine's like, just, what, okay, whatever. You know, don't worry about it. And I was like, no, I'm going to text him. So here, here last night, I, I texted Tyson. Um, and if I were to show you this, the last text I had gotten from him was, Merry Christmas. Told you, yeah. But this is, this is last night, 9.35. I was, I was getting ready to go to bed, and I just felt this. No, I need to, I need to explore this a little bit. And my wife goes, what are you doing? I was like, I'm texting Tyson. She's like, what? So I said, hey, Tyson, this is Dominic. Hope all is well. Random question. Do you remember when I gave you the Bible and had marked a verse in it for you? Do you remember what verse it was by chance? He said, hey, Don, D-O-N, it's great to hear from you. I hope you're doing great as well. I still have the Bible. I think you highlighted a few. Do you mean what looks like you wrote in red crayon or the ballpoint underlines? Sorry, Don was an autocorrect, LOL. Hey, haha, no problem on the autocorrect, it happens. Oh, cool, I'm glad to hear you still have it. Maybe the ballpoint underlines. It was in one of the Psalms, if I remember correctly. And if I remember, you ended up bringing that verse, uh, you told me that that verse, your mom or your grandma used to read it to you or had it up in the house. Does that sound familiar? He goes, yeah, let me check. He goes, are you compelled... I almost feel like I should have one of you come and read this for integrity. But literally, he goes, are you compelled by Holy Spirit to speak a sermon on these verses? I said, kind of. I was telling a friend the other day about how nervous I was to knock on your office door and to give you the Bible and to pray for you that day. So I was just thinking about it and trying to remember what verse it was. And yes, I may use this as a sermon illustration. This is his text back. I'm so thankful you did. It helped me so much reconnect with our Heavenly Father during that trial. It was a season at that time that I felt like my life was falling apart. I feel God had you there for that reason. You were ready to go to full-time ministry in the church. You didn't want to be in mortgage lending anymore. But God used you to help me, a brother in Christ, he calls himself that now, um, to be uh, during a very hard time. I'm so grateful, Dom, and I've thanked God a few times over the years for you being part of my life. Let me go look really quick at the Psalms. I responded. I said, I appreciate you looking that up, Tyson. It was a meaningful moment in my faith journey as well. He goes, yeah, you, you did what looked like red crayon on Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, and Psalm 94, verses 18 to 19. You also wrote Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39 that you highlighted. And he goes, by the way, my son Travis now is a strong believer. He's age 27. He battles with mental, mental illness. God's truly blessed him, and, and he, I'm grateful to know that Jesus is always with him. Those verses, 37 through 39, Travis had no idea that you highlighted those. I think he saw those in the Bible sometime. And now he has those as his phone background. You can look on his Facebook or Instagram. Then he gives me his name. I'm not on Instagram, so I won't be able to get to do that. But now Tyson writes this. He says, hey, let's grab lunch or coffee sometime soon. I feel that there's a higher power or reason that you reached out to me. 
I've been praying for direction for Trish and I. It's his new girl. Uh, and she's dealing with a lot of physical ailments after COVID, and she's having a hard time getting her life back together. I just said, Tyson, that's awesome. Um, thanks for looking it up. Yes, God's our refuge, our fortress. He's the one whom we can trust. I appreciate you remembering that day with me. And I'm sorry to hear about Trisha's pain. Yeah, if you're still in the Portland area, let's connect. I'd be happy to. And you're welcome to come worship with us sometime. I gave him our church name, uh, address. Um, I said, hey, I need to get to sleep. But yeah, let's connect. I'll pray for you and Trish before I sleep. He said, good night, Dom. No autocorrect needed. Thank you for the prayers. And I'll pray for you tonight as well in the growth of your church. Why am I sharing that with you? Here's the thing. I had no idea that God was doing something in Tyson's life that morning when I was sitting in my apartment and I felt like God was prompting me to pray. But I knock on that door and Tyson goes, yeah, come in. And I sit down there. God was doing something in Tyson's heart and life. I had no idea. I text him last night at 930 for my benefit to get an illustration that I can with integrity share with you guys. My wife's going, you're crazy. Let the guy sleep at 9.30. Leave him alone. He writes back, I think there's a higher power while you're texting me tonight to ask about this encounter that happened 16 years ago. Would you be willing to meet up and have coffee and pray? I have no idea what's going on in this guy's life, you guys. Again, I get texts from him twice a year. You guys, God is at work in our world by his spirit. See, Romans 8, chapter, excuse me, Romans 5, chapter 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The world out there that is full of people that who, not, who do not yet know Jesus. Jesus died for them. And God, by his spirit, is at work out in the world wanting to make that known to them. See, I think sometimes we forget, I forget that I'm, I'm on the other side of this verse. That God demonstrates his own love in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I think, and I go, sweet, I'm not a sinner anymore. Although I am. I mean, Christ died for me, but sweet, I'm saved now. So what? See, there's people out there that they don't know the hope that you and I know. There's people out there that need to know the message of Jesus, that the kingdom of God is real, that Jesus is alive, and that he desires to save them out of whatever it is that they're struggling with. And this verse in Romans chapter chapter 5, verse 8, tells us that God demonstrates his love for them as well, that while they're out there still sinning, what happened? He sent his son Jesus to die for them. I love what uh, Shiler Visser, who's the national director of Alpha Canada, said. I heard her say this in a seminar a few years ago. Shiler Visser said this. She said, evangelism is partnering with God in the conversations that he's already having with people. Evangelism is partnering with God in the conversations that he's already having with people. Here's the question. Do we believe that that's true? Do we believe that God out of love, demonstrating his love through Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. Do we believe that God so loves this world that he is out there having conversations with non-believing people? That he, by his spirit, is working? Do we believe that? This challenges me when I heard her say that. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. But what it also does is it took the fear away from me about evangelism or about sharing or about whatever because I'm going, yeah, God's already at work doing it and having the conversation. Then I just have to be praying and kind of aware and attentive to go, God, whose door do you want me to go knock on next, so to speak? Because God is out there working in this world, wanting to bring people to a saving knowledge of himself. And he has saved you and I for the purpose of partnering with him out of his love and out of his grace for us. Because when we actually partner with him in the work that he's doing and wants to do to redeem this world, guess what? We're the Ananias in that story now. And our lives get transformed too. 
We get set free from fear. We get set free from worry. We get set free from all these different things that we, we were, we're held by. Same thing, sometimes we think the greatest thing God could do for me now that I'm saved is to provide this, this, or that, maybe even heal this, this, or that. No, the greatest thing, period, that God could do in this world that he does all the time is he saves people and he brings them from death to life. He brings them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I think sometimes you and I as Christians, we need to experience the greatest thing that God could ever do, not even for the people on the other end, but for ourselves that we would be a part of sharing simply or praying simply or just being obedient when God says, hey, Dominic, here I am. Go to this person. Ah, no, I'm kind of busy. No, when we, get to, when we lean in and trust and by faith and say, God, here I am, what is it you'd have for me? Honestly, my life is forever changed by this interaction with Tyson 16 years ago. I could, and some of you have asked me about this story after. I, I have numbers of coworkers and things where my eight years working by vocational, being in business, of just God saying, go pray for this person. Go talk to this person. Go, go do this or whatever. There's this one crazy one where I had this dream about this coworker, and I had to go tell her, and she was like, you had a dream about me? That's weird. And I was like, yeah. And I told her, I don't have time for today. But it was like, that changed her, and it changed me. You guys, God is at work in this world, and he's gracious enough to involve you and I in the, in the beauty of what he's doing. Do you believe that? I want us, Missio, to be a church that says, here I am. And then no matter how crazy what God puts in front of us, we actually say, okay, Lord, in faith and obedience, I'll continue to go do it. The last thing I want to just say about this is uh, this story reminds me that partnering with God and all these stories of, in this Here I Am series, following God, partnering with Jesus, it's not for the faint of hearted. And yet it's for every single disciple. It's not for the faint of hearted, and yet it is for every single disciple of Jesus. Here's, here's what I want to do. Um, I, I got a couple questions, so here, here's, here's this one question. How can you partner with God in this season? Where and how is God speaking to you, talking to you, getting your attention into something that he wants, that he's graciously inviting you to partner with him in to bring redemption in this world? In order to help us answer that, I want to put up here uh, just a, a prayer that I want us to meditate on for a minute. And kind of our closing today is I just want to lead us through praying a couple things. But there's this prayer by um, St. Francis of Assisi that every so often I go and just meditate on. And he wrote this. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. I want to just have that be in front of us for a minute. And I want you to just, in your own pace, just to look at it, kind of meditatively pray on that, just to prepare your heart for kind of the next question that we're going to pray.
Yeah, and so God, would you increase our faith today? God, would you increase our faith that you are at work today by your spirit, you're at work in this world, even amidst the, the evil, the atrocity, everything that we see going on. Increase our faith that, Jesus, you're still king, that you're still Lord, that you still sit sovereign above the circle of this earth that you created, and you love it, and you love every individual. God, increase our faith that you can do the impossible, that you can take a Saul and turn him into Paul. And God, increase our faith that you actually want to use us in that process, that you're gracious and loving and crazy enough to want to use us in that process. And so, Missio, I want you right now, I want you to ask God, Lord, who is it that you would have me pray for? Or who is it that you would have me serve this week? Or who is it that you would have me share good news with this week? Would you guys do that with me, church? And I'm going to, Lord, would you, would you do that? God, would you just move by your spirit here in us? We believe your spirit indwells us, that you, that you speak to us. And Lord, would you give names to every person in here? God, bring to mind the name, the face of someone in our spheres of influence, God, that you love, that you are inviting us to go and pray for this week or to serve this week or to just mention the goodness of your name to And God, I ask now then just, again, for you by your spirit to give each of us the faith, the courage, the obedience to say, here I am. In the same way that Ananias did, God, would you give us the ability to say, here I am. God, would you remove fear? Would you remove discouragement? Would you silence the lies they are saying we can't do that or whatever? God, each of us is disciples of you, Jesus, that live here in Portland, period. And you love us. And your spirit is within us. And you've saved us by grace through faith in order that we would partner with you to help bring redemption in your kingdom to this world, to undo the curse and the fall. Lord, give us the faith to be people that say, here I am over and over and over again. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.